Welcome to a football show. Happy Snow Day, Monday edition here on the Full 40 Sports Network. His name is Zach Lyons. My name is Braden Gall, of course, brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. We still have plenty of stuff to do today, uh, despite the Titans, of course, not being in the postseason. Uh, although it was an interesting weekend, and we'll get to what we learned in the wild card weekend. There's still a couple of games to go at time of taping, so lots of stuff to do today. The Titans have currently interviewed uh, digitally, officially, for of the nine candidates um, and Zach will sort of lay out some of the rules, of course, for those that don't know about the structure of when and how and where you can interview people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, four of them have been conducted already. Uh, we'll get to your thoughts, Zach, on all four of those candidates. We touched on some of those candidates at the end of last week's episode, but last weekend or last Thursday show was more of an autopsy and that's all behind us. Now it is always, it's all time to look forward. It is all time to establish the future of the Tennessee Titans. So we will do that. Of course, brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. And Alabama took all of two and a half days uh, to hire a coach. Kalen DeBoer is the new coach at Alabama. So we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show as well. And then was it know, ever confirmed that he brought the general manager of Washington? Maybe we should just ask, I could ask this question later, but uh, <laughs> the general manager of football operations or whatever from Washington with him? Tune in later for that answer. All right, there you go. <laughs> we know for sure that he didn't bring his offensive coordinator. <laughs> we, we know that for sure. Ryan Grubb putting out a major statement. So, uh, yes, we'll talk about the, the playoff games. We'll talk about Alabama's new coach. Uh, we will talk about uh, the Titans hiring candidates mostly today on the show. Sinker's Beverages, of course, today. Uh, I sure hope everyone went to the Sinker's Beverages over the weekend and stocked up on everything that they needed because the next few days, you might you might need some company. Uh, at home so get out there and have fun but be safe but uh you need some you need some beers you need some wine you need some champagne you need some liquor uh sinkers has you coverage covered of course their sister store bluegrass beverages up in hendersonville proud sponsor of football and other f-words make sure you check out that show and that store if you're in the area just search uber eats i don't know zach like how like should we tell people to get people to deliver booze in this weather i mean i, I drove around this morning already it seems okay but I'm hey, listen, if Uber each driver is is the one that's taking the risk, it's not you. So <laughs> so, so search sinkers uh, on Uber Eats, of course, and have the booze delivered directly to your house. They drive so you could drink. I, I do find the way people like the number of trucks that I see in ditches already today. It's just comical to me. It's I know we don't get a lot of practice, uh, but driving in the snow is really not that hard. It's just not that hard. So uh, go to Sinker's Beverages, of course, get yourself some booze for this week. You're going to need it. And of course, Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Make sure you check them out. Uh, their, their social profiles, give them a follow there, turn on the notifications, really great stuff. And if you have a big decision coming up about your house, buying, selling, renovating, make sure you talk to the Kingston group before you have a conversation about anybody else. Speaking of conversations, Zach, uh, I want you to kind of lay out two things quickly for me, for everybody. Number one is quickly give everybody the rules. Uh, because I think as of today, Monday, I don't they, know the rules. Well, so there like, you go. The interviewing. <laughs> so, I, 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 all I know is that, like, at some point after a game is played, you can interview a coach. Okay. Uh, and I know at some point, I don't think in person interviews or hires could be done at divisional. Uh, you didn't really ask me to look up for the to know the rules or anything, and I really don't <laughs> care to know the rules over anything. I, I think I think it's three days, and then there's all different benchmarks. Like, for example, I think it's Houston. two days because I think someone tweeted last night that Tuesday, I think. Quinn, I think Quinn's interview tomorrow. I think it was announced just like a few minutes ago that Quinn's 
interview tomorrow. So I think it's two days. So Bobby Slowick, I think, can be interviewed. Uh, I thought it was three. So I, I thought he had to be interviewed tomorrow. Houston played on Saturday, of course. Uh, so we shall we shall see. But either way, you have to wait a couple of days for some candidates. You didn't have to wait for Michael McDonald, uh, Mike McDonald, I should say, the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator. They were off this past week. Of course, Mike Kafka, his season was over, so they interviewed him. Antonio Pierce, his season was over, so they interviewed him. And I think you have to wait three days also at the end of any season before you can officially uh, have a communication with somebody. So Brian Callahan, same deal there. That's why those four names. Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator for Cincinnati. Antonio Pierce, interim, maybe future head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Mike Kafka, Giants OC, and Mike McDonald, DC for Baltimore, have been interviewed all in digital. The rest of them, of course, on the list. The other five names will be uh, interviewed at some point over the, few, the next few weeks, depending on the timing of it all. But that's sort of just the, the rule. There you go. Quinn is interviewing on Wednesday. Yeah, so I think it's three days. But not a, all that matters is... What happened on Sunday for Dan, Dan Quinn, uh, potentially? That was, just, that was just so he could get Mike McCarthy out of there so he could take the Dallas Cowboys job. I don't disagree I'm with you pissed. on that. <laughs> Somebody asked me this morning, like, how did it happen? Like, why did that happen? And I was like, I, I don't think Mike McCarthy's a very good football coach. I, I don't, I don't uh, know. Like, to be honest, Dan Quinn lost that game. <laughs> like, But I think he lost it on purpose because he did something that he – we could talk about later, but he did something that he had not done all season long. And that seems to be the M.O. for Dan Quinn, but also the M.O. for Mike McCarthy. I think they're just a bad tandem. I, I, I tend to agree with that. So uh, obviously a brilliant showing by Bobby Slowick against a very good Browns defense uh, for C.J. Stroud. Although uh, certainly the defense and D'Amico Ryan's unit got a few big plays in that game. But what we learned from the wild card, we'll get to. Um, so I guess let's start. I, I want you to kind of break down because you if you want to follow these along in more intimate detail, please subscribe stackintheinbox.com. And I, we've got two defensive guys and two offensive guys. We'll work our way through each one of them. And I'm going to get Zach here to describe all the things he learned. And also I have Slowick. I mean, you Slowick I'm in the midst of my Slowick thing. So that's why I put him on the list uh, yesterday. Awesome. I can't I can't wait to get to him because I, I find him to be the super, super interesting out of all these guys. So let's let's start with Mike McDonald first. I think that's the one you put out today or yesterday. Yes. It's one of your most recent ones. So again, stackintheinbox.com. Make sure you check that out. Baltimore defensive coordinator, 36 years old. I'm going to set you up like this, and I'm going to try to do this for each one and then have you run with it. Uh, it, it strikes, you, you say in your piece, there's one major pro and one major con. What are those for Mike McDonald as a Titans head coach? Well, I think, I mean, I jokingly say, of course, you know, he's named Mike, so, you know, you don't want anybody named Mike on the staff anymore because we're sick of it. Uh, the, uh, you know, it's just a little little joke, you know, right there. And then, of course, you know, the coaching tree does not inspire any confidence. The Harbaugh coaching tree is Chuck Pagano, Mike Pettin, David Coley, and Vic Fangio. If you Google coaching tree, people try to church it up, adding Rex Ryan and Hugh Jackson, but they fall under two entirely different, you know, coaching trees before, you know, they're crossing with John Harbaugh. Um, I, I believe that... The assembling a staff is is a pretty big con for me, just because if you look at the offensive coordinators, it leaves a lot to be desired. Not a lot of experience, not a lot of proven guys. And then if you look at the defensive coordinators, they're really good. But again, you're talking about a list of maybe five guys. So the when you look at this, when I look at head coaching candidates staff is a real big important thing and that's really what people talk about 
they always ask you, like, who do you think if Brian Callahan could bring, or who are some of the people that so and so could bring? And he kind of has a a weakness in that regard, despite being with the Ravens for a while. There's just not a lot of people that you can trust or that that don't have jobs currently elsewhere for that same position. Because remember, you can't make a lateral move. You have to add in some kind of crazy promotion and or title to to that. But his his pro is that like he. He is legit probably one of the smartest people in this coaching cycle, but I think if you asked around the NFL, he may be like legit one of the smartest people in the entirety of the NFL, including Sean McVay, including all the head coaches and everything. It's very like how we talked about Saban last week about how if he wanted to do this, he could be that. He would be the best at that. Right. That's what people describe Mike McDonald as, but he's – I heard someone today. Oh, it was uh, Easton on the Hot Hot Read podcast. I just got done listening to like a clip that he just put out, and uh, he calls Mike McDonald leader of men. I don't think he's. I mean, I'm sure he's a leader, but I wouldn't put him as the leader of men category. I would put him way separate from that because I, I don't think that not all defensive coordinators are leader of men i guess i should i should put it throw out there and i'm not saying that's what he's saying but i think right. i think from everything i have read leader of men is not a descriptor that would not be a top five descriptor for mike mcdonald and that may they may rub putting that out there may turn people off <laughs> from mike mcdonald what let's if you package the mike mcdonald conversation with the antonio pierce conversation I think it's very clear to see the Antonio Pierce, that side right. of Antonio Pierce versus when you read and study Mike McDonald, it is far more almost like an offensive coordinator. It is. It is. It, he's talked yeah. about. Yes. yes. Like he's an offensive coordinator. Like there's this this scheme here and like every player knows everything about everything. And like this, the way he teaches this skill that helps that other player and like. He's changing it from week to week based on what what they're doing, and I think adaptable is the word that you used in your story. Mm-hmm. And when you study him around the league and sort of the the way people talk about him is that this is like a like a nerd for lack of a better term, and then yeah. a lot of times that is reserved for offensive coordinators, like that that that's his his style and just wicked wicked smart. Here's the thing, I, and I I want to the point of this show to me is as we go this probably this episode and probably Thursday and then maybe a, a few others when we dive into these candidates is just try to tell people as much as we can about who they are and let fans make up their own mind about whether they think the Titans made a good or bad decision. We'll have our own opinions, but we want to try to just like talk through who these people are. And I I think the other side of this equation is philosophically what's important. And I do have a question about sort of the the coaching ties that we can get into in just a second. But if you compare Pierce and McDonald, the two coordinators that are on defense that they have interviewed, I know you and I don't necessarily think they should go defense, but Pierce is the one who strikes me as the rule rah rah leadership guy, culture builder. It's why the players are coming out for him in Vegas proactively, and proactively, and it and it strikes me McDonald again strikes me as like this defensive wizard type of 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 uh, description, and those and those are two very different personality types, frankly, and it makes sense. Pierce is a former linebacker who coached under very fiery individuals, <laughs> so. Uh, uh, McDonald is being described as like, if he wasn't probably like my size growing up, he would be playing football. Like if he was like, he's one of those guys that just his physical limitations as a human 
prevented him from pursuing <laughs> football full time. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. this is his love. This is his passion. And I think you're right. The big difference between these two candidates, the, the two defensive candidates, and really the difference between Mike McDonald and the rest of the defensive candidates on in, in this group is to me, he is a nerd. And like, he is he is a guy that is valued by both Harbaugh's. They kind of like passed him off to kind of help each other, you know, s- situate and create some things. But this is a guy who came in and in one year flipped the entire defense around from what it's known since 2017 under Wink Martindale. And Wink Martindale is a man coverage, hit you in the mouth, we're going to blitz the shit out of you and hope our corners can hold up. That's how we're going to play the game. And here, what you're talking about with Mike McDonald is a guy that, like you alluded to earlier, he changes it from week to week. One week, he's going to hit you with like uh, two high safety and zone blitzes. And the next week, he's going to use cover six and then have people flood the lanes. Like He used cover six mainly in back-to-back games against San Francisco and Miami Dolphins, but he used it two different ways. He used a cover six zone scheme against uh, San Francisco, and he blitzed them because he knew that would be the way to rattle block Brock Purdy, and they were able to get their hands on some tipped passes and shift that game wildly in their favor. And on the flip side, one week later, it's still what you see on the San Francisco film, right? It is the shell of it, the way it's deployed, it's cover six. But instead of blitzing, all those players drop back into coverage and just fill up as many passing lanes as possible to, to make it tough for Tua Tagovailoa to be able to do anything. So, like, that's what he does. There's games, he shifts it around. There's games where he uses man coverage, zone coverage. You know how it's called front multiplicity and coverage consistency? This is just multiplicity times multiplicity times <laughs> multiplicity. And this is, it's everything that people, I feel like, think, Vrabel is because Vrabel does a lot of the kind of like exotic blitzes. He'll send blitzers from elsewhere and everybody thinks that, oh, well, they're kind of creative on defense here and there. This is like pure creativity week to week. And I went into this not wanting to like Mike McDonald. (laughs) (laughs) But the more you research, the more you read, the more film you watch and you go back and watch some games that other people have watched and talk about in these articles, the more you're like, this dude is the Sean McVay of the defense. And it's my biggest concern, though. And this is your concern with the defensive head coach, but my biggest concern is building the staff. And yep. then yep. can you continue to build the staff? Well, let me, because I want to talk about the staff here for a second. But if I was talking about the defensive names, which includes Mike McDonald and Antonio Pierce, already interviewed, of course, Aaron Glenn, the, the, the Lions defensive coordinator, which I think he can get an interview on Wednesday. If Dan Quinn can get, get an interview on Wednesday, yeah. then Glenn can get an interview on Wednesday. Um, and I would like just go with me here for the sake of the conversation. I would have Mike McDonald clearly as number one of the four defensive candidates. Yes, no doubt. I would have Antonio Pierce at number two. I would have Aaron Glenn at three, Dan Quinn at four. And here, I'll give you quick clips. That's probably notes. where I'll end up. I, I'm I'm assuming that's where I end up. It's okay. not where I'm at yet because I haven't done any search on uh, Aaron Glenn yet. So Quinn, I know what he is. I know what he does well. I've seen it. I know what it looks like. I, I don't, to me, I don't understand firing Mike Vrabel to hire Dan Quinn. I don't get that. Yeah. Aaron They're Glenn. The same, right? Quinn, uh, someone said that uh, out of all the candidates that could be available for the Cowboys job if Mike McCarthy's fired, Vrabel has the best resume. No, Dan Quinn has a better resume than Mike Vrabel. They're they're the same. Yeah, (laughs) so they're the same. Uh, Aaron Glenn, to me, strikes me as 
again, I think the Detroit defense is extremely talented. They've added some pieces to it. I think he's done a solid job. I don't think they did a good job in the game against the Rams, but I don't want to be, that's a little recency bias in my brain. Yeah, I just, they're also I, like, you know, starting Kindle the door. And, right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Z Dean, all the interviews are done uh, via, I don't know if zoom is the actual software, but yes, they're all digital in-person interviews cannot happen until after the entire season. After I believe the divisional. Is, I after thought the, the divisional. divisional round. No, maybe you're yeah. right. It's the divisional. Uh, Glenn to me is sort of a, like a lesser version of McDonald and Pierce with less track record than Quinn. So that's why he's third for me. Pierce to me is just an inexperienced version of Mike Vrabel. And McDonald is the off. He is the young hotshot whiz kid offensive coordinator of the defensive side of the list of the candidates, which is why I like him the most. Also, I think he's again, smart, adaptable, all these things we're talking about, but ultimately what matters with those four guys, if you are firing Mike Vrabel and, and you can lay out what the Titans vision is again, just to reiterate it in case people forget, like all the different words that we're using to describe what their vision is, since they can't use those words to describe their vision, we'll do it for them. Yeah. Um, Mike McDonald, like every single conversation about any one of these four guys has to start with who is your offensive coordinator and what system are you going to deploy? It does all these skills we can discuss about these four guys are great. Mike Frabel has a lot of those things. And so the question is, what do these guys do for you on offense? And I, I, I don't think we have any answers for that with these four candidates. No, I mean, I mean, you can kind of, you can make a decision that, or make the logical assumption that T Martin would likely be the offensive coordinator for Mike McDonald. I don't know how I feel about that. Very, I, I, it's it's a it's a random name to throw out there, but Lamar Jackson credits a lot of his his newfound um, success, if you will, since you know the best season since his MVP season to T Martin. T Martin is a former offensive coordinator that helped get Sam Darnold, you know, in the first round. Now, you know what Sam Darnold did with that—that's on Sam Darnold, but he helped do that. He probably has learned a lot being with the Ravens. He's been with the Ravens for a while now. He's seen now both Greg Roman's offense and he's been a part of Todd Munkin's offense. So I'm willing to at least give it a shot, but that's probably the best guy that he's likely going to get unless there's some outside of, you know, some left field candidate that we're just not aware of that maybe, maybe he keeps Charles London, maybe he keeps Tim Kelly. Maybe that is a, a plus for you. If, if you are listening to this, I, I don't know where I stand. I'm, I'm a big believer in keeping Charles London, no matter who's on the staff. Agree. Or who's uh, who's the head coach. But I don't know what he is as, a, as an offensive coordinator. But if you're looking at the, the, the vision, innovative, evolved, sustained success, success, aligned and collaborative, this is that guy. That perfectly describes what Mike McDonald is for the defense, what his viewpoints on football in general are. This is a guy that has sustained success no matter where his stop has been, whether it was at Michigan where he totally flipped that defensive program around and has left it in a much better place where uh, the defensive coordinators that are currently there are able to sustain that success. Uh, he, at every stop for every position that he coached at the Ravens, you're looking at all pros. Now he's a defensive coordinator, and he has done tremendous as a defensive coordinator for the Ravens. So he meets all that more so than I feel like the others do by far. And I feel like he does just as much as 
on the defensive side meets those criteria as the offensive coordinators. Uh, Chris says you don't want to hire T Martin right now. If you're the Titans, because you don't want to alienate a big part of your fan base when you end up firing him right as you're trying to close out <laughs> PSL deals here, here, I think T Martin would be a disaster. I, I know too much about, uh, the offensive scheme and all the stuff he's done. I think it would be a disaster. Now, let me ask you, I, but I agree that McDonald is the best option of the defensive guys. I think it's because of all the things you've said and all the things you laid out in your article. Uh, I, I think it, he, if you're talking about smart, innovative, oh, George Godsey's probably the guy, by the way, I, I forgot about George Godsey being on the list. Okay. George Godsey. Oh, oh I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I also do want to ask you real quickly who you think should be kept off the staff, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, I, I, I want to make one philosophical point because you spend a lot of time of this in your in your articles, and I just want to make a, a an observation because one of the candidates, um, Brian Callahan, who we're going to talk about in a second, had no connection to Zach Taylor whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. I don't believe. No, that's not true. Well, give me if I coaching connection. So coaching connection. I put in there they've known each other since two thousand spring break two thousand five. So, so they they have known each other. They actually started a like a summer football camp together. And gosh, I can't remember the the third guy that was on there, but as a third offensive guru person. Um, but but they have known each other since 2005, which I did not know until I listened to a podcast. So I want to an article. I, I I so I think there's two different things that sort of fight against each other in, in this assumption that like that there has to be some connection here. No, number one, they are football coaches in general are, lo are loyal to a fault in, in, I think in general, not doesn't mean every one person, but they are kind of loyal to a fault. So yes, it is, Mike it, it is smart <laughs> to look at sort of the connections and, and all that stuff. And I, and that's all very smart to do because I think coaches are loyal. There's that's also, why I, said, I don't know if, if outside of straight connections, unless there's someone that we're just not aware of that he has never worked with, or maybe he's friends with just like Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan. We just don't know who that guy is. But what I would say though, to you, having just, uh, wandered around at the grand old Opry or the, the Opry Land hotel with the AFCA, which is the American football coaches association was in town last week. And when you go walk around, there are lots of names of lots of guys, assistants and otherwise, that have never worked together and have no perceived official tie, and they are all on text chains together. They all know each other. Every one of these guys knows each other. They go to these conventions together. They go to these meetings, and they go to these seminars. They go to these things. College, pro, whatever, they all know each other. And if you know John Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh and you're Mike McDonald, you, can, you know everybody else at that point. So I don't think that like I, I, I think these, these, they, they, football coaches talk more than middle school girls. Like they are just, they all know each other, and so I don't think it's as important to study who you've worked with as it is to who you've learned from and who to sort of who has dubbed you as like good enough. Like Mike Kafka, which we're going to get to in a second. I'm not a huge fan of that hire. I don't think it would be a great hire. I'm probably you're probably in agreement with me, but the oh, fact yeah, that Andy. My tweet, my people misinterpreted my tweet like he had been hired. And I was like, no, I just got done writing an article and I just <laughs> extremely would be upset if they, if they, uh, but hired. to your point about Jim Harbaugh hiring him, approving of him, using him to win games, John Harbaugh approving of him, hiring him, using him to win games, Andy Reid hiring Mike Kafka and elevating him every year in Kansas City is a sign that a very smart, like really brilliant football coach thinks very highly of you. So I, I do care that who sort of deemed you worthy for lack of a better phrase. I think that is something that I value here. 
Um, but I think John, I think Todd Munkin is the real genius behind the, the Baltimore offense, in my opinion. Not too oh much, yeah, yeah, but, for for sure. But, but I mean, like, also you got to listen to what the quarterback says about their quarterback coach. Oh, you absolutely, know, at some point too. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I would point out about Antonio Pierce, and this is just a random, like this is, doesn't mean it applies to Pierce or, or not. Just because boosters at Texas A&M didn't want Mark Stoops to be the coach doesn't mean they know better. And just because the football players want Antonio Pierce to be the head coach of the Raiders doesn't mean they know better. It's a good thing. It's a huge check mark, but it doesn't mean that they are qualified to hire football coaches. They're players. <laughs> so, Correct. I, I would agree with that. that. I would, but I also think there's a difference between. I think there's a huge difference between being loved by players and being liked by players. And I think that Mike Vrabel is liked by his players. I think that Antonio Pierce is loved by his players because they're proactive about wanting Antonio Pierce. And they have been since the, he took over as the head coach. Whereas Mike Vrabel is very reactive. You have to ask people if they like Mike Vrabel or not. And, and sometimes within a, with a, with a, with a microphone in your face, you're not going to get the honest answer. These guys are being very proactive now this is not a con this is not to say that i think antonio pierce is better than mike Vrabel, gonna be better than mike Vrabel, but i think that when people say leader of men and a coach's player and a player's coach or whatever you want to terms you want to use antonio pierce i think is something that he does is much more magnet it's kind of like dan campbell to me i think that he's closer to and i think there's a distinct difference between dan campbell and mike Vrabel. i know people lump them in to get together as ceo head coaches and that's fine but you can be ceo head coaches but one person has a method that works better than the other sure, and sure. or a ceo and i think antonio pierce is a lot closer to dan campbell than he is to Mike Vrabel, but I also am not sure that Antonio Pierce, to me, if Antonio Pierce would would not alleviate any concerns left over from the Vrabel era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. With that. So this is a great question. I want to, this will lead me into a question for you, Zach, from Jason here. It says, I'd be curious to see an offensive analysis for defensive head coaches. I really don't want to see years of coaches having to drag the game into the muck to get a win. No more spunky underdog. Now that second half of that comment, Jason, I, I'm not sure I care as much about, but I do think the first part of that question is fascinating. And certainly, if you're a Texans fan, you have a very quick answer to that question. D'Amico yeah. Ryan's defensive coach. John McDermott. Brings- Sean McDermott defense. Like there's plenty of guys that have shown not, not as many as the offensive hey, whiz. Crable from 2019 to 2020. Right. And so what I was going to ask you is with that sort of concept in mind, Many years of Bill Belichick, I would say there's plenty of good examples, but I think more mm-hmm. recently there's been more offensive whiz kid hits than sort of right. like defensive coaches that are showing the ability to bring in an innovative offense separate from their own, sort of expertise. And so my question for you is with these four guys, McDonald, Pierce, Glenn Quinn, uh, is it not obviously like Mike McDonald is the most likely to see the game the same way as the offensive wizard uh, guy? Like, isn't he clear? Okay. So again, if we're talking football smarts and we're talking IQ, I I think we agree on this. Uh, Mike McDonald's clearly the number one defensive coordinator guy. And I would really put different him probably in the top four of all head coaching candidates that the Tennessee Titans have listed. I'm I'm not sure I disagree with that. I just wanted to clarify in this question that Jason asks, 
which one of these guys is most likely to sort of see the game the same way, innovative offensive stuff? Because I don't think all these defensive guys want to bring the game into the muck. I don't think that's just across the board what defines you as a defensive head coach. I think that Vrabel was given, I think Vrabel gets a bad rap because I think Vrabel was given personnel that needed to be played like that, Tannehill and Henry and et cetera. But I think it's clear that Quinn, I mean, maybe Quinn and Glenn can, I don't know. I think Pierce is another version of Rabel and I think McDonald's the guy that could do that. So that's just, I just wanted to answer Jason's question and make sure we talk about this. Okay. Go to sinkers beverages. Kingston group, of course, are two great sponsors. If you have any more questions about any of these candidates, please, please get on the line here. Zach is here to answer those questions. Sinkers beverages, uh, of course, your two time defending liquor store, of the year in the city of Nashville, serving East Nashville since the 80s. Make sure you swing by and check them out. Great selection of bourbon, great selection of beer. They got these new non-alcoholic beverages, Zach, that have uh, another altering substance inside of them. And I'm thinking about trying them out. I'm thinking, I don't believe, I don't believe in CBD and I don't believe in Delta eight or whatever, but there's some products somehow, some way legally in the state of Tennessee that are being sold at Singers Beverages that have other things inside of them, but they're non-alcoholic, so a little healthier for you, but uh, still give you the same effect, apparently. So <laughs> I'm going to go I'm check. I'm going to see Bluegrass has those. <laughs> I'm going to go check these out because I still don't know how it's legal <laughs> in the state of Tennessee, but Singers Beverages has them for you. So uh, go check them out. Kingston Group, of course, buildkg.com is the website. Make sure you just remember that name, the Kingston Group, before you make any big decisions about your house. All right, let's start with the easy one here, Mike Kafka. Uh, offensive coordinator for the Giants got started under Andy Reid. He I'm played out. for <laughs> next, next subject, Brian Callahan. No, he played for Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. Uh, very smart, uh, very smart quarterback, very productive quarterback in college. His NFL career, just not good enough talent wise, but he quickly, very quickly became a, a, a part of the Andy Reid coaching staff, like almost immediately upon retirement. So that people recognized his intelligence right away. He gets onto Andy Reid's coaching staff. He worked with, Mahomes when he was kind of in his redshirt year there behind Alex Smith. He kind of gained in title each year, was never a play caller or a coordinator, but he gained in title each year. And then he goes on to work for Brian Dayball. So again, two very smart offensive minds that sort of tabbed him as good enough is a positive in his in his camp. But other than that, uh well, Zach, what, what have you seen two, from him? He's only he's only had one promotion with the the Kansas City Chiefs. And he went from offensive quality control coach in 2017 to quarterbacks coach in 2018. And that's where he stayed all the way till he got hired in 2022. You keep saying he gets a promotion. Well, he was added. Well, sorry, not maybe not in title, but he was given, there were more responses. He became passing game coordinator, I think as well, I think in there or passing game quality control or something like that. Um, the point is, is that he was, he learned at the feet of Andy Reid with Mahomes and that's a double-edged sword because Reed and Mahomes get all the credit, right? <laughs> As they should. Um, but it also is, means that he's a smart guy, that that really smart people said, look, you're good enough to work with us. So that, that's all. Brian Dayball, I, well, I, I tell you, I'll tell you one person who absolutely loves Mike Kafka, and that is Daniel Jones's agent. Because he got Daniel Jones paid off of one good yeah, year, and then that whole thing came crashing back down to earth. Uh, I am totally 1,000% against Mike Ka- Kafka. I do not like Mike Kafka. I think he looks evil. Uh, he looks <laughs> Nosferatu. Blade would like e- immediately, even if he was human, would not know that he was human. He would think he was a vampire. And cut he off might be like the nicest guy on the entire list, too. <laughs> uh, he's boring. We know that because his mom even came out and said that he's boring. 
Uh, wow. He, he is, he is a, he's just not good. And like, I look at how he deployed, he got, he, they drafted Jalen Hyatt. They got Paris Campbell. They got Richie James. They got all these guys that they ended up either not keeping or cutting and all this kind of stuff. And Campbell, who is a deep threat, Paris Campbell, who is a deep threat. Went four for six for 21 yards and six of six for 24 yards in back-to-back games. He was never used as a deep threat. Averaged on the year 5.2 yards per reception. On top of that, he averaged 3.9 yards per target. Utterly ridiculous. And we know that Jalen Hyatt has shown the ability to get open deep, but they just wouldn't do it. They would not unleash him. And he did not get used appropriately. They added all these weapons around Daniel Jones and didn't use any of them. I am so far out on my Kafka. I I think the only saving grace is if he were to bring Eric Bieniemy because his his staff sucks. Uh, offensively, his defense has some fancy names to it, but I really don't think that we. I really care. Same with the offensive line. It's just my Kafka. Boring. Do not like him. Okay. I don't know what to add. I think he's the most unqualified of the offensive minds yes. potentially for this job. I, I think he's the most unqualified, but totally uh, unqualified. It doesn't mean that in a couple of years he wouldn't be qualified, but that doesn't mean the Titans should be the ones to go early, quote unquote, on on a guy like this. Um, I, I haven't double checked it yet, but Kay- Kenneth says that Caleb Williams has done the obvious and declared for the draft. I know JJ McCarthy also declared for the draft as, as well as Blake Corum, so um, we can co- we can confirm some of that stuff. Square up says. This might come off as sarcastic, but what even are the negatives of Ben Johnson? We'll get to Ben Johnson in just a second. He has not done the interview I, I yet. haven't really done a lot of research on Ben Johnson, so all I can say is that he is from the Adam Gase coaching tree. So that is a, a massive, that's an, a massive that's a negative. negative, negative. Doesn't mean he's not going to be a good coach or a good hire, but that is because we're all but guessing. If you want this. one massive negative, there yeah. you go. Uh, so <laughs> what we're trying to do is go through and and the ones who have already interviewed officially kind of break those guys down. And as they interview, we'll give you some more information. So let's get to Brian Callahan, which I think, uh, you know, if you've got Mike McDonald, let's say hypothetically at four out of nine, let's just say, I'm assuming Brian Callahan is above Mike McDonald. Yeah. He's currently my number one with the, and I, and I think right now when it, cause I'm almost done with my Bobby Sloak piece. Brian Callahan and Bobby Sloak can build very similar staffs. Now, the the big thing with Brian Callahan is that he has more experience as an offensive coordinator in the league, and he could quite possibly, if he chooses, and his dad chooses to come with him, give his dad assistant head coach, Bill Callahan, assistant head coach title slash offensive line coach, because that's what you would have to do because he just signed an extension with the Cleveland Browns as their offensive line coach and bring him on. So offensive line coach is where he has the um the I guess the the tiebreaker uh between him and Bobby Slowick besides experience, but when you're just talking about building the staff cuz I know that I have talked about how Bill or uh, Brian Callahan's staff is one of the best staffs, has the highest chance to succeed. But if you go look at Bobby Slooks, he has a really really good staff that he could pull from from his history with San Francisco, the Texans and uh, Washington back in the day. So to me, it's like I look at it and I go, Brian Callahan is my number one. And I think right now, and I have not done a lot of research on Ben Johnson, but right now it'd be Brian Callahan, Bobby Slowick, Ben Johnson, and uh, Mike McDonald with Ben Johnson being able to move around once I do the research for him. 
So why then outside of the staff, why, why Brian, let's, cause again, there's been Zach Taylor's had a lot of interesting things to say about Brian Callahan, that he's basically with him every step of the way throughout the entire course of each week, being sort of a, a secondary version of a head coach through the offensive game plan. He's not, I mean, like the, the play calling is, is there for him. He's one of the few guys that has that he's not inexperienced in that department um, as some of these other guys are, but why, why is it, you've done the deep dive on him. We're not going to do Bobby Slowick and Ben Johnson just yet, but why number one on your list? It's in his DNA. Like it's, I mean, it's in his DNA. Um, he, there, there are stories that you can find about him coming, you know, home from school or summer break and talking shop with Rich Gannon and Rich Gannon being super impressed and knowing like right away that he was going to be a head coach in the NFL at some point. Uh, I mean, since he was born, Bill has been in the league since he was born, like been in the NFL coaching. So you don't, you don't not pick up on stuff, right? I mean, his dad's been a head coach. His dad's been position coaches, offensive coordinators. You don't, you don't just not pick up on stuff, but he's also like, when you hear Rich Gannon talk about him, when you hear Peyton Manning talk about him, that will perk up some ears for our volunteer fans. (laughs) Um, He is that he's described as the quarterback's, coach not the quarterback coach you know not like the position he's the quarterback's coach he is he has talked to so many and coached up so many different quarterbacks of different personality of different outlooks and study habits and learning habits and all this kind of stuff and has molded his communication to them around them you won't find a bigger difference between discussing and breaking down film with Peyton Manning and discussing and breaking down film with Tim Tebow. <laughs> I mean, like there could not be two more dissimilar, <laughs> you know, quarterbacks that he has coached and broken down <laughs> film with and helped. And that's what he has done. That's what he's done through his whole career. And when you're looking at the staff he can bring, the responsibility he's had since 2019 with the Cincinnati Bengals, what he's done with the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow and Jake Browning, what he's been able to communicate with amongst all the staff, like Zach Taylor can go away for four or five hours. And here comes Brian Callahan at the end of the day, they meet up and he handled everything for Zach Taylor. Like anything that Zach Taylor couldn't get around to as a head coach and day-to-day activities, he's got to handle. So to me, Brian Callahan has everything that you could want, every quality, theoretically. Like, that's what we always talk about, right? Theoretically. it's All, it's all, every, all of this is theoretically. Yeah. yeah, theoretically, he has everything you need and want from a head coach, and he has the staff that could come in. You look at the D. First off, Wink Martindale apparently knows, like, all these coaches, by the way, um, which is just insane. <laughs> but you're talking about I'm Ed telling you they all know each Vikings. other. Yeah, everybody knows each other. Yeah. Ed Donatel, former Vikings defensive coordinator. You got Corey Unlin, Texas defensive passing game coordinator, who I really like, and I like. He's also available for the staff over at um for Bobby Slowick. Chris Kosarek also could be brought over there. Derek Ansley, Terrell Austin, Tony Oden, who is also Tony Oden, Bobby Slowick, Jack Del Rio. I mean, yeah, some of these are not exciting names. Like I'm kind of out on Jack Del Rio, James Betcher. Yeah, okay, you know, you can get me there. Don't agree, but get it. Derek Ainsley. Uh, I needed to kind of know what happened with this Giants mess, which we kind of got a little bit more. So I'm kind of a little bit out on Wink Martindale, but he is really good defensive coordinator. You know, Tara Austin, you're going to have to throw slap in the title. 
Love the San Francisco trio of the people I just talked about. And then, of course, there's some there's some dark horse candidates, right? If Dennis Allen is fired for Bill Belichick or um, uh, Mike Vrabel, which is still a possibility from what I've heard, you got Dennis Allen. <laughs> then you can have Joe Woods, who is the Saints defensive coordinator if Dennis Allen's fired. And then, of course, there's the son of Ed Donatel, Tom Donatel, that's coaching the league, too. So... I don't know. I kind of like all the staff. The defensive coordinating staff has a lot of interesting names. And to me right now, I think that it's going to be really hard for me not to have Brian Callahan as number one as as anybody doesn't see them. Unless Ben Johnson just absolutely blows me away. Well, I want to transition this to Bobby Slow because I think there's the difference. The difference between the two is all of that experiential stuff that Brian Callahan has, which is like growing up in this and having the father that taught you this. And but he does too now, but, but His I mean, Bob Slowick has been in, has been in the league since he was five years old. That, that's true. I guess that's true. I guess he's got less of the on like Callahan just feels ahead of him by a couple of years in every category is maybe a better way to, to have said that, that like, not only does he have all the background and again, Bill Callahan, like again, didn't he, Coach a team to a Super Bowl. Am I, am I wrong on that? And then they lost to yeah. the, the Buccaneers yeah. and Brian. And again, now that was built by Gruden. I get all of that. But I feel like Callahan has got more experience to have depart, like wisdom to have given to him and, and more experiences. But at the same time, he's th- like two years ahead of him in play calling and years of developing an offense and sort of being involved in that. So that, that's sort of like the difference is I think Bobby Sloak's going to be really good. I just think he's got a, he needs a little more seasoning is sort of my my opinion on him. Um, but I do want to know what you, you think about that. But I want to ask a question that some of the comments folks jumped in here. Uh, was there a tie between Vrabel and LaFleur, by the way? Was there any coaching tie between those two? I don't remember there being. One, uh, no, 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 yeah. no. So, no. again, you don't have to know any, the you know, you don't have to know a guy to hire. I think really that good, just happened because really I think that was a forced upon marriage from what I have heard people that were in the know back then. That was this was a forced upon marriage, which uh, seems to be a good habit. So, well, Z Dean says, could you see Amy Adams strunk doing the same thing? Or I would say Rand maybe more in this doing the same thing again, where let's say Bobby Slowick, and I don't know how you do this. Cause again, you have to elevate him in title yeah. or something, but like if Callahan was your coach, but you knew Slowick was going to be his coordinator. I mean, then you're like, great. Uh, but then that raises another question that Ed asks, which is, and I've gotten this from lots of people that want to know, do you think Titans want their head coach to call plays on offense? Now I'm going to forget about the Titans for a second, Zach. Do you want your coach to be the head coach calling plays on offense? I I have no preference. Okay. I obviously don't want the defensive guys calling offense, but I have no (laughs) preference for any of these offensive guys. I do think that like, that's the kind of the one knock on Bobby Slowick is that like, can he handle everything can he be an offensive play calling head coach, which is what all. The, okay. So Shannon, Kyle Shanahan has Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur, and now possibly Bobby Sloat. Those are, that's his coaching tree. I almost like Zach Taylor is a offshoot of Sean McVay. So is Kevin O'Connell, but th- that's his coaching tree. These guys, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Yep. Did not have prior play calling experience, whereas this is what Bobby Sloak actually does. Now, the difference is you, you Bobby Sloak has been in the league just one year less or started one year later than Brian Callahan. However, there is a time period between his Washington job and San Francisco 
from, I believe, is 2014 through 2016, that he was with Pro Football Focus, getting that started up, and he's a big analytics guy. Here's the thing that you should keep in mind, because I have had this gut feeling and hesitation for a little bit now that I don't know if Bobby Sloak's ready, but I'd rather be early than late in the case of the Shanahan tree. And so what I mean by that is if you have to suffer through a Zach Taylor or really even Kyle Shanahan kind of slow start, but you get to the point that both those teams are at a couple of years down the road, it will be worth it. However, I want everybody to keep this in mind about Bobby Sloak and any kind of people bringing knocks towards him that maybe he can't do everything. He's kind of done everything. He's been the right-hand man to Kyle Shanahan after Mike McDaniel left. He was also basically worked really closely to Mike McDaniel, who was the offensive coordinator under Kyle Shanahan. He was one of the first hires Kyle Shanahan made when he got the job in San Francisco. And D'Amico Ryans, who kind of grew up in the quality control coach ranks at San Francisco with Bobby Slowick, he had he they, that's the reason why they came over because he has so much respect, so much faith in him and he was rewarded for it he's also learned not only just under kyle shanahan and D'Amico ryan's now but also mike shanahan so he knows he has worked closely with many people who have ran football teams and knows what works and knows what doesn't and kyle shanahan himself this is how kyle shanahan builds the staff and this is very important for everybody to listen to because this is the straight up from the words of kyle shanahan and i want you to i'll I want you to just bear with me. Usually I like someone that I've seen on the staff at other places I've been when I didn't get to hire the staff. So that would be Bobby Sloat. You get to see people's work ethic, big work ethic. Okay. Kind of what drives them. There's a, the example of thinking, man, this guy would be good with the players or man, this guy could teach a player or man, this guy's extremely smart. Could just soak everything in. He could type everything up. He could break everything down. He understands every blitz, every formation. He can memorize all this stuff. Who could do both of those? There's so many different variations of stuff. There's so many different qualities in how to build a staff. Coordinators and stuff are just a little bit different because they can't be in too big of a hurry either. There's so many processes that if you skip a step, you can see it in guys, in my opinion, later on in their career. So I like guys who could do it the normal way where they're just breaking down stuff and listening to everybody and soaking stuff in. And guys who also don't mind the pressure on them. We're not always going to be nice. We try to be. But there's going to be a lot of pressure. You're not going to get many pats on the back. And you just got to grind and hope it works out for you one day. He has been with Kyle Shanahan, where he didn't get to build the staff, with Washington. He was one of the first hires in 2017, has been on staff from 2017 and has gotten promoted and gotten several different uh, title bumps. And he was specifically moved from the defensive side of the ball, which is very important because he spent a lot of time on the defensive side of the ball where his dad made his career, NFL career, on the defensive side of the ball. So that, that's knows. the weirdest part of his resume to me is the switch. Yeah. It's the weirdest part. And it worked, right? I mean, he well, I mean, knows. You, can't argue, you can't argue with the results yeah. this year. I mean, And he specifically uses his own analytics. That's very important. Because he even, in the uh, game-winning touchdown against Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he knew that in this, the analytics told him that in this particular instance, that Todd was going to deploy cover four, and he knew the exact play to call up, and it was a 14, a 15-yard pass to Tankdale. Now listen, 
the drawbacks are that this offense that he has built around CJ Stroud <laughs> is not going to be the same offense you can build around Will Levis because Will Levis is not accurate. Yeah, he's not CJ Stroud. So, so, so it's going to have to be an entirely different looking offense. But I think Bobby Slow could build it, and he has a staff that he could build that would be very fucking impressive. Ultimately, I'm just curious if like the Bobby Slowick analytics dongle will like marry with like the Rand Carthon Chad Brinker dongle. Like those computer systems have to talk to each other. So we've seen what happens when they don't be, talk, there's a female they don't talk port, to each other. They ha- there's someone's got the male port, someone's got the female <laughs> port. They'll connect. Well, it, we've seen it. It better it better get a, the the operating systems better be able to communicate. We we the, between the two analytics. I, I would think that Rand Carthon experience in the san francisco 49ers they would communicate i i I would agree with you on that uh so here's the thing like i i I agree it's hard to argue with the amount of intake he has had with the the minds that have been around him and then the proof this past season with with a houston roster i check for me though like he's kind of like maybe too nerdy no, I've talked to look PK. Like he's not like a cool. He's not like a cool nerd like Mike McDaniel or like a suave nerd like McVay or is McDaniel uh, a cool a cool nerd? Oh, uh, he's awesome. I would love uh, hanging out with Mike. McDaniel. Looks like a my he's Miami Coke chic is what he is. I just don't know if that's cool or yeah. not. Um, it, what I'll hilarious. say is I love him. I like the flat bill from Shanahan though. I like that. I don't like I don't like the uh, the McVay ripped up. But here ultimately, what somebody was asking me this about Auburn over the weekend, like why why can't Hugh Freeze call plays? And I am like in college, I think it's harder to be a play caller and manage like a hundred kids because you have more hands on stuff in the game itself and and in the preparation and in the install. Like you have to do so much more in college with recruiting and everything else that I think it's easier for guys in the NFL. And we've seen this influx. We mentioned all of them. O'Connell, Shanahan, McVeigh, Lafleur, McDaniel, Taylor—like these guys. He called. actually has a year of experience, right? It, well, exactly. But so, I ultimately, I find it. I'm I'm less concerned about an NFL head coach being the play caller. And so, if they decide to be that, and it's because they're the best at it, then I don't I don't think it takes as much away from other things. The way if Lane Kiffin calls plays at Ole Miss, that might actually you can't then go communicate with your defense and like you. I, I don't know. I think it affects colleges more than, than pro coaches for some reason. I, so I don't I care think, like you, but yeah. I, I think with Bobby Slowick, I think there's a high chance that there's growing pains than with a higher chance of growing pains than with Brian Callahan. But I think that maybe Agreed. his ceiling is probably a tad bit higher than Brian Callahan. So like, I think that like, it's a very high, it could be a medium risk, high reward. Whereas like Brian Callen's low risk and above average reward. Like I, th- I think you could win obviously and get to a Super Bowl with Brian Callahan. But like, I think with Slowick, you're talking about decade, a decade of Kyle Shanahan, like produ- success. Uh, Kenneth says, do you think there are reasons that Frank Smith, who's the offensive coordinator at uh, Miami or Shane Waldron haven't rec- received requests for interviews yet? It does seem like they've maybe reached their nine, right? Like, well, I have been expecting a 10th and maybe there's a 10th that we're not aware of, but Frank Smith has only gotten one interview request yeah. and the entire job opening. So the NFL is telling you something about Frank Smith that we're not privy to. Yeah. Yep. And Shane Waldron, I mean, I think that he's probably hoping that he gets a Seahawks job that's been kind of floated out there, but he, uh, so I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know why anybody else has. A, I don't think anybody's requested Shane Waldron to my yeah. mind. Maybe the Falcons uh, didn't. They slipped it in or something. We, we will go deeper into both Johnsons if you want. If you want a great sentence to clip and use for socials, <laughs> we're, we're going to go deep in both Johnsons. Uh, when we when you get to done working on those by Thursday, we'll give you some analysis of those. By then, Hopefully. the Titans should have should have interviewed both of them. But I think ultimately, you're asking me what my like loose list is right now. It would be Callahan, Slowick, and Ben Johnson in a top tier. Those three. Slowick is and the overwhelming betting favorites for whatever that is worth. I, I think that's got to be tied directly to his relationship with San Francisco and Rand Carthon. That's got to be what that's to. And it's I, moved I, just so quick. It was like plus five hundred or something, and now it's down to plus one hundred. That's my bet too. Very I mean, I've I, I've always thought it was going to be Bobby Slowick, but again, just for the sake of. I think McDonald's at four, and then it's sort of like Brian Johnson, Pierce, Aaron Glenn, Dan Quinn, Kafka in that order for me. So I just think there's a top three on my top tier, and that would be Callahan Johnson, Ben Johnson, and Bobby Slowick. Those three, Mike McDonald might be on that tier, but again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want a defensive head coach. I, I, I don't know how much. He, this is might be the one guy who could be smarter than Mike Vrabel, and that's possible, and that could be good. But then you still have to, the same exact problem about churning offensive coordinators and play call like. Just hire the genius who and, runs the offense and calls I mean, the plays. To be honest, though, it never really affected Harbaugh, so maybe he's picked up something on that front. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And Harbaugh's been around so long; he's just evolved so much. It's hard to tell. Like, same thing with with Tomlin as well. Okay, uh, I think that's the difference: is that he can adapt to the game, Mike McDonald, whereas Mike Vrabel does not. Yeah, that's the argument. Okay, uh, what else? What else we got? Uh, you want to? We don't. We kind of ran out of time to talk about the playoffs. I mean, I just. I, I didn't. Well, have, we still get tonight's game, so we'll, we'll talk yeah, about it on Thursday. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And I didn't. I didn't wear pants most of Sunday afternoon. Um, they just. It was, a, it was a, some fun games. The Lions game was great. Lions game was super fun to watch. Very physical. Very yeah. entertaining. Lots of candidates on on both those staffs for people to pay attention to. Uh, but no, my pants were way too tight on uh, Saturday Sunday afternoon watching the Packers. It destroyed the Dallas Cowboys. Nothing. Literally nothing makes me like turn back into middle school me. And enjoy sports like watching Jared Jones be destroyed at home by my Green Bay Packers. It's just there, there's very few Let things. Let me ask that you I enjoy. a question because this this got brought up in the in the chat the other day. Um, if Mike McCarthy were fired, I said that I wouldn't even touch him with the ten foot pole for the Tennessee Titans. No, I think we we I'm saying we as a shareholder uh, of the Green Bay Packers. I think a major part of why we won that game is because Mike McCarthy is not a good head football coach. He, he, he gave up trying hard a long time ago after the Super Bowl. And I think that's like, I think the fire is not there for him. And I think it's pretty obvious that he doesn't know how to stoke that fire in anybody else. Because I don't know if you guys, like if you watched any of the game, it was, it was pathetic on the Cowboys side of things. It and, was. And, it was and Matt LaFleur play I've ever seen. And I was, I was kind of surprised by it, but Matt LaFleur winning the toss and taking the football and saying, fuck you, we're going right down the field and then doing it. That is a that's a big deal. That's a big. I mean, it was a beautiful play calling sequences and like Dan the Quinn whole, just the whole game going zone was just mind blowing. They they ran the same play with the same player probably four times that little yeah. smash corner route or post corner route and it worked every time. Uh, I I, th I thought Dan Quinn got his shorts eaten by Matt Lafleur, but that that was yes that's as good a game as I've seen Matt Lafleur cause and it, and again I. My shorts were a little tight yesterday, so let's just leave it at that. And okay. Here you go. Here's something a little interesting, by the way, for the Mike Vrabel okay. coach to watch just real quick. Seahawks are not among teams to be scheduled to interview Dan Quinn so far this week. Very interesting. 
Um, I would. I do want to ask you on Thursday. So here's a tease for Thursday show. Go to Sinker's Beverage in the Kingston Group. I, I do want to know who on this current staff do you believe should be kept? Who's and and we, you know, I know you love Charles Shortlist. <laughs> I, I assume it's a short list, so we can get that. We can get to that as well. But uh, Alabama uh, hires a coach as fast as any major program ever has. I don't think Halen DeBoer was the top choice, but I think he was pretty close. And I think the way they moved quickly, and the way that it's that what, what's really weird about it is how involved Nick Saban is staying in the program, and that's that's both a benefit for Halen DeBoer. And, and sort of a weird, like, what's going on? Let's see how this works kind of thing. I think it is hugely beneficial in keeping the roster intact because Kalen DeBoer has been focusing on Michigan's defense and Alabama's defense, uh, excuse me, Texas's defense for the last six weeks. Um, I, I want to ask you what you thought first, and then I can give you my, if you want to ask any questions, I, I'm, I'm an open book. So I, I think I would s- sum- summarize my feelings were like, first off, Jalen Milrow is going to cook next year. Uh, second off, um, it, we may not yield a lot of wins like we're like Alabama fans are used to, but sure will be a little bit more exciting than anything else you could probably have thought dreamed up for the last couple of years, offensively at least. Um, and I also don't get this idea. I don't understand like the all the wide receiver transfers. Did you not watch Washington play like? You are going to be like targeted like crazy, yeah, under Kalen DeBoer. And I don't understand like Isaiah Bond leaving, and then there was a recruit that left like immediately after, um, yeah, five star, uh, Saban, Saban left. And I'm thinking, this is no slouch. I mean, he may, he's not Nick Saban, but I mean, he could be probably just as good as Sark is, you know, if if given the right tools and stuff and all this kind of stuff. And there's no reason to think he won't. I just never got the, I just don't understand why, like. Isaiah Bond went to a crowded wide receiver Texas room instead of just staying here and being the guy. Like that, I just thought that was weird. I, I do I agree that's weird. For him, I guess, but I just think it's weird. Some of that is just a very natural. Um, this is a new new coaching staff and it's different. And I just you know that some of that's a kind of a natural reaction to this. Um, I, look, this guy's been a winner everywhere he's ever been. You can go to like lower levels of football at Sioux Falls. Um, with championships, you can go coordinator at Indiana, best season ever really at Indiana with Michael Penix, by the way. Um, win- winner at Fresno State. He's been a winner everywhere he's been. I-, I think ultimately the deep shark infested waters of the SEC is just a question you have to answer in real time. You don't need to be a cultural fit. Nick Saban wasn't a cultural fit at LSU when he got there. Uh, you don't have to be the the alumni Kirby Smart at Georgia to be great. You don't, you know, you can be from somewhere else and and, and work just fine. Um, is there a chance this has some Brian Harson-ish type of vibes? It's possible, but Kalen DeBoer's accomplished a whole lot more at Washington at a much higher level. And the offense, yeah, th- this is the best offense Alabama is going to have since Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator or Lane Kiffin was the offensive coordinator. This is as good an offense as those teams will be. And so I think to your point, in a new SEC with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, is nine and three more possible now without Nick Saban, the greatest coach in the history of all of human humankind? Yeah, it absolutely yeah. is. But, but but is the offense going to be extremely fun and give you a chance to win every single week in a modern era of football where that's the direction we're going? Yeah, absolutely. So how, how to manage the, the, the thing I find most interesting about jumping into the SEC, especially at a level like Alabama, is always just how do you handle how different it is? It's just so different at Alabama yeah. or Auburn or LSU, 
it's so different than in, even even the big schools like Wisconsin or like it's even different than big schools in the Big Ten that make a lot of money. It's different. Yeah, it's different. The fishbowl, the boosters, how much everyone is paying attention to like what you eat with your wife on a Saturday afternoon, like in the off season, like it's just a fishbowl. And Alabama is the magnifying glass of all fishbowls. And so it's just how do you handle that is kind of you just never know what what's going to happen. Uh, I will say one more positive thing that I haven't heard a lot of people say about this hire. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't consumed enough. Uh, I was busy watching the football, but I Washington's NIL structure was among the best in the Pac-12. Part of the reason they were as competitive as they were in the Pac-12 the last few years, Oregon is the other one that has one of the best NIL infrastructures in the back end. Washington was ready to compete in the Big Ten, is ready to compete in the Big Ten for big players because of what they built on the back end. And a lot of times that is a reflection of what the head coach is pushing for. And Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri is a great example of this. He has pushed for major infrastructure build out on the back end of Missouri, and it is why they're better than, than they have been in the SEC. So there's certain schools that haven't done it very well. And Washington is not one of them. So I think that's a reflection of how Kalen DeBoer sees the game and knows how to build a roster. But he packages it with this very West Coast relaxed attitude. He is a kind of a nerdy, like just a kind of a regular guy who just wants to go about coaching up plays and drawing up brilliant offenses. The, the offensive scheme against Michigan was not the reason they lost the game. It was Michael Penix missing open receivers. The receivers were open. Yep. It was not Michael Penix's. It was not Kalen DeBoer's fault. That's they what lost I'm that saying. Jalen Milrow, man. You talk about you better be accurate. That, yeah. But you're talking about a guy that he could take advantage that could take advantage of Jalen Milrow's talents, like physical talents. Mm-hmm. This is that guy. I think go watch the second half of the Texas win in the semifinal. When the game was close, it was tied up at halftime, I think at 21. And they started unveiling a few other things in that third quarter against Texas. And it involved the quarterback using his legs. So I would just say, <laughs> I would just say, go watch that third quarter. Uh, otherwise, I think great job by Greg Byrne in Alabama to get it done. I, I don't know how you live up to Nick Saban, though. <laughs> just yeah, I don't either. Like, he could be a really, really good coach, and it's just it may not be good enough to for Alabama standards. So I don't, I don't know. That's hey, listen, just a tough. You get into the twelve team playoff, and you make it to the the, you know, in your first year, you get into the twelve team playoff. You make it to the final four. I, I think you would have a lot of happy Alabama fans, even if it doesn't result in a championship win. Here's what I'll, and, and I agree with that. And here's what I'll say: I think having Josh Heupel at Tennessee, Kalen DeBoer at Alabama, I think having Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, I think having Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, like these offensive guys at these places that are going to be competitive in the SEC, I is is it makes the game more fun to watch. Yeah, it is. There is exactly. going to be there is going to be a lot of really entertaining offensive football in the SEC. The question is, is that good enough to consistently beat the Kirby Smart type of program? And and that's Jim Harbaugh right now. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. It's gonna be fun to watch, though. I can't wait. <laughs> it's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Sinkers Beverages and the Kings Group. Make sure you check out our two great local amazing sponsors. We do appreciate all your support, all you guys in the comments. Uh, and of course, football and other F words. Stackingtheinbox.com. Cannot recommend enough. If you want deep dive into all these core, all these uh, head coaching options for the Titans, make sure you check them out. Again, stackingtheinbox.com. Hard recommend, folks. Hard recommend. Uh, for Zach Lyons, I'm Braden Golf. Thank you guys all for listening. We will talk to you on Thursday with more candidate breakdown. And who knows? 
Maybe they make a decision. Who knows? We'll see. But make sure you tune in, turn all the notifications on. And of course, please give us a subscription on the YouTube page. We do really, really appreciate it. Otherwise, have a great week. Stay warm, stay safe, and we will talk to you on Thursday.